The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC Blem Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Up, you savages. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst whose work you can find at MMAJunkie.com, and you can also find me five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we cover high-level MMA, and that's what we're breaking down this weekend for UFC Belém. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's Friday morning. This is being recorded. Not too bad, considering I've been like waiting until Friday afternoon or evening. Um, so that being said, it's still going to be a, a bit of an expedited version. I got a, a looming, uh, pre-surgery appointment for some pre-surgery tests. It's been back and forth with that. Uh, just a quick update before we get into the breakdown and a few things off the top, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, not fun, you know, especially just dealing with, uh, people in the medical field now. I don't know if it's because, you know, it's the insurance state of America or, you know, this is, uh, Dan Tom's, uh, first time with, uh. Back with a you know back with a certain medical uh, company who who will go unnamed, and uh, it's just yeah it's not great these you know not great people to <laughs> to deal with I haven't dealt with a kind or comforting or competent person yet uh, to say the least, but at least I got surgery uh, scheduled for uh, Tuesday next Tuesday so uh, good vibes my way it's a it's actually a really easy surgery to be honest. Um, uh, it, it, you know, it's just for a uh, umbilical hernia, but hopefully it'll help cure a lot of the symptoms I've been going by. But uh, you know, kind of new slash old developing things. Uh, yeah, now that I got that confirmed and got it confirmed that it is a umbilical hernia, the other symptoms that I've been dealing with this whole time as well make more sense. Unfortunately, those things might be a more serious issue of gallbladder. I initially thought it was a hiatal hernia, or as I was mispronouncing probably on last week's episode, is a hiatal hernia. Uh, this affects acid indigestion, could explain the chest pains and you know, heart attack feeling, the bloatedness in the right side, um, and a whole slew of other things that I'm going through. Uh, apologize, I'm sure most of you could care less, and I don't blame you. But suffice to say, um, if I've been extra irritable and extra of a, sorry ladies, if I've been extra of a cunt lately, that's been why um, I have not been able <laughs> To sleep without fucking... I've never been able to sleep, A, and when I do, it's fucking crazy dreams, which is a whole other issue that I don't even begin to know the root of. And I haven't been able to eat a fucking meal without feeling immediate discomfort for hours after. And I haven't been able to escape pain uh, and discomfort, a different kind of pain and discomfort that just kind of happens 24 hours of the day. It's been over a month now that I've been feeling these symptoms straight. Um... Oh, included with the 80 hours plus week of work and all the, yeah, it's, 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 it's not been an easy month. Uh, it's been a very painful month and it's like, I don't even want to complain because there's way worse things, but I just equate it to Chinese torture and I don't need, that's just a, a parlance from a, me being a kid growing in the 90s, growing up in the 90s. So I, there's, you know, there's probably a slew of meanings for that. But what I mean by like, uh, we would say, oh, it's like t- Chinese torture, like dropping water droplets on your head, or you know, we would poke at each other's head like, like slightly over and over again. It's Chinese torture. Like, doesn't feel like much, but after a while, it just gets you know unbearable. Death by a thousand ants, so to speak. So, um, again, knock on wood, it's not life-threatening stuff, but um, it, it's just not been fun. Anyways, I'm off the soapbox. Sorry. Again, you know, all this craziness going on. I don't have time to interact with people or do much. So. Uh, a little bit of soapbox going on in this podcast as per usual, but it's quick, it's painless, and we're moving on. And speaking of, you know, time and not having time for things, that is not an exaggeration, and I only harp on that more slash bring it up because, uh, a lot of you, more, more of you, um, have been reaching out to me, which I appreciate. Thank you for, for, for listening, reading, uh, what have you. But a lot of things are for, you know, advice or share or this or that, and I guess it's kind of, you know, something that everybody at a certain point kind of deals with. And I just need to learn how to deal with that and 
something Bill Burr said, like, he's like, I learned real, I learned real early, like, uh, stop being so wired so nice that I realized that whether it was relationships or general public or jobs or whatever, if you have that welcoming personality, it's all good. And, you know, people want to be around a positive person and all that's well and good. But there's a little part of that depending on what, you know, what part of the characteristics, uh, you know, we're talking about here that draws, that draws the crazy, right? Whether it's, you know, the females or the, you know, friends or whatever. And uh, it's because you're just too nice to just say no. <laughs> and that's kind of me. But the, uh, to be honest, a lot, the, a lot of you have actually been in contact with. and Or, or if I haven't, um, um, it's nothing against you guys. So you guys are awesome. I, I appreciate it, in fact. But I guess why I bring it up is uh, apologies. I haven't been able to get back to you guys. Uh, it, it's just been busy, man. I, I've, I've, been, I've been way too busy with all this stuff. I haven't even had time to process that I'm getting cut open for the first time next week, much as all the other stuff. Uh, that I'm going through, and meanwhile I'm trying to work, and I'm like, oh, there's my coach that passed away, and I'm too busy to work to even attend his, uh, attend his memorial event this weekend. I mean, yeah. Anyway, it's a lot of stuff that I, I sacrifice behind the scenes, so I'm not being an asshole. All right, uh, but thank you. Apologies. Um, last week was awesome. Not worth recapping. My recaps are shitty. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Uh, amongst the new duties, uh, you know, bringing more kind of analysis articles, more fun stuff. Um, with the title talk and super fights being, you know, prominent, I, the uh, I did a, you know, just a kind of a fantasy article, if you will, or for fun article, if you will, just kind of analyzing uh, Woodley's potential super fight possibilities, and um, you know, it it, 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 it sparked uh, it sparked the conversations that it intended to. People were upset because they saw Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor and people who weren't deserving and weren't welterweights, which I agree with you on those. What are facts? Uh, but. Uh, I did my best to project what those would look like while interjecting more realistic, um, more names that I would like, whether it's your fantasy of a George St. Pierre or the one I'm championing for, Rafael Dos Anjos. At the end, I do give credit and acknowledge uh, Colby Covington, uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio, Darren Till, Kamaro Usman. But, uh, you know, at that point, you're, just, you're, you're doing too many names. And, and the article is actually was supposed to be three. I, I pushed for four. I really wanted to give... Uh, Make sure I secured RDA a slot. And, uh, but yeah, it's funny because a lot of the things I agreed on with people in the comments, but it kind of shows who actually reads the article or they just look at the headline or look at the picture and then, and then kind of, uh, flame you for it. No one actually really flamed me for it. It was just kind of general comments. Um, I was happy with it, to be honest. Uh, and I'm happy. It actually did really well. So it really, I'm, I'm, I, I thank you guys. But it kind of brings up that interesting point where it was like, you know, don't get me wrong, I put a lot of work into it, especially because it was like my first one of these kind of pieces, so it took me longer than I initially thought. But, you know, it's funny, you hear these conversations, and, you know, I know I know, my, my colleague John Morgan will, will bring it up all the time, you know, it's like, oh, people always, you know, give crap, oh, clickbait, why, why, why are you reporting on this, or why are you reporting on that, and journalists obviously have to deal with this way more than me, so I'm not complaining in the, in the slightest, but I do kind of see their argument on it, where the general public that complain about that stuff are the same people more or less that are clicking on it because I've been doing breakdown articles for, you know, over six months for junkie and for how long now and put how many hours of work, hard work every week into it. And this article kicked all those things ass put together kind of a thing. Maybe not exactly, but you know what I'm saying? It did really well. So even someone like me who, you know, is a contrarian when it comes to the super fight things and, you know, with, with, with that talk and whatnot, if anybody is, but you know, so I agree with you on that point, but you know, it, it's true. I'm seeing it firsthand. You know, it's, 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 what does that say about our sport? I don't know. That's an argument for another day. We're going to get to UFC Belem. I just wanted to thank you guys though, for, for clicking, sharing and, and, and sparking the conversation again. You don't have to agree with me or you don't even have to like the article, but the fact that it, it sparks the, the conversations and, and whatnot. And just, even if it's just for fun shit, that's always fun. All right, UFC Belem, uh, pulling it up right now. <clears throat> We're going to go as normal on this show, bottom to top. I believe it's Pollyanna Viana versus uh, Maya Stevenson, the female opener. Um, yeah, this one, uh, th This one. the only thing I have is uh, Pollyanna for my uh, DraftKings. Essentially, she's going to be a lesser uh, represented of the more pricier picks, so... And I think I think she can she can get a possibly get a finish here, if not score a lot of takedowns and a lot of damage to where it's gonna look really ugly, because there's a big skills and physical gap I believe. No offense to Maya Stevenson, um, you know uh, 
it's just he, I didn't watch the show, but just going back and watching, you know, her fight with Sajara, going back and watching her King of the Cage fights from before then, it's rough, man. I mean, she's got really good boxing techniques. She used to be an amateur boxer, but there's just not a lot of substance there. You know, she's it's like she's competent and she she knows what she wants to do in other areas, but doesn't really have the tools or wherewithal to do them when put in certain spots. Um, and I think Pollyanna, who is much more accoladed on the ground and, uh, you know, more skilled there, I think she can also hang with her on the feet. I mean, it's tough that there's very spotty sample sizes of both. So please don't take this as sureness because I assure you I'm not sure at all when it comes to these kind of fights. But, you know, Pollyanna appears that she's got some pop. She can strike coming forward. She can counter. Here's your typical uh, Brazilian shoot box Muay Thai style. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, she also has that physical edge too. Like I talk about these Caitlin Vieiras and stuff and that physical edge goes a long way too. So we don't know the ceiling on the physical edge. We obviously don't know the ceiling on the skills, but from all reports and everything I've seen looks, looks good. Looks quite, uh, looks a clear level ahead above her counterpart, Stevenson. So she is the pick, uh, no plays again, just took Pollyanna on fantasy, uh, for some strategic purposes there. All right, next fight, uh, Davison Figueredo versus Joseph Morales is on the avoid list because this one's tight. I mean, this is like a spot where, you know, your classic Team Alpha Male guy can upset. They've been doing so good lately. you got to give shots to Team Alpha Male. Joseph Morales is a guy they've been talking about for a long time. Uh, that was somebody that uh, Sympathy Calvillo used, I think, her first or second post-fight speech to give credit for to get on the UFC. Sure enough, he shows up. He wins an impressive performance. I might have took Sanchez. I don't know. I can't remember if it was closely lined or not. I think it might have been a more widely lined than I thought, but I I, I I thought it should have been another kind of like the situation pick him on the avoid. Um, but uh, Morales got it to the ground, but not by pulling guard like he normally does. He landed a nice right hand. You know, it'd be interesting to see more where his striking is. Uh, I was really hoping to see some some wrestling, but uh, because, you know, that was the thing when you break down Figueredo where, you know, oh, maybe he could lose there. I'm not sure if I took Brooks or Figueredo. I think I took Figueredo. I, I don't know or care. It's not a confirmation bias or any pride attached. I just, I just think I picked Figueredo last time without looking offhand. Uh, but, again, for F Figueredo versus uh, Jared Brooks, the match I'm referencing, that was another fight. Again, close. Probably probably was on my avoid list for that reason uh, because Jared Brooks could stifle with the wrestling. And we saw him do that. You can have issues with the scoring. I think I did live a little bit less issues on the rewatch. Um, nevertheless... Ultimately, it comes down to more questions about Morales, less questions about Figueredo, who has this scary, spooky accuracy um, and power, especially for a flyweight. And he has tough making the limit, so clearly he's bringing a lot of weight down with him. Figueredo, if you don't know, was the guy who, who was on tears and was last win, UFC Sao Paulo, I, I want to say. Or, no, maybe it was a European card, actually. It might have been uh, Volkov Struve, maybe. I don't neither here nor there. But Figueredo is also a guy I reference where when I talk about amateurs and they make their pro debut, you know, for, for reasons of the big stage and the normal reasons everybody talks about, it's always hard to be confident. But another reason is there's guys like Figueredo where he's not the only one, but he's a good example where an amateur will do something in the regional scene. But when they come to the more – when they come, when they when they make their debut, all of a sudden they, they have a different style. Uh, usually in the set, so this is these changes are in the nature of they're kind of wild and reckless, whether it was on the ground or on the feet. And in other words, they smarten up and they tighten up when they get to the big show. Unfortunately, not more fighters do that. Figueredo did because when you watch his regional shows, it's kind of just he's such a wild man. There's a wild, weird kung fu Muay Thai shit he's got going on. And uh, but he tightens it up a lot um, when he comes over uh, to fight Michael Beltran for his de uh, debut, or Psycho Beltran there. Uh, uh, yeah, Figueredo's the pick, but this one is on the avoid list. Um, you know, I don't blame you for taking a shot in fantasy because, you know, uh, for a flyweight fight, it could score high, but it's just too risky either way I mean, to touch it with a 10-foot pole. Next fight, Alcantara versus, uh, Soto. Um, I don't know if it was it, was it Z? Either way, shout out, shout out, uh, Rockstar Z. I think it was, I saw him. It caught fire like a couple months ago. A thread just amongst the MMA Twitter degenerates, at least, um, about like your worst bet. And I have way too many to think about, and was probably too busy to chime in because I have plenty. But uh, Alcantara is uh, probably one of them for sure. Um, you know, I've been I've always been high on him. Always always appreciate his style. But yeah, he's definitely a hit and miss guy, and and kind of a guy where when. 
me, probably you too listening, were betting against him is because you figured the bottom was going to drop out, or if you were betting for him, it's just you figured the skills that he showed prior were going to show itself, right? He's just kind of one of those guys. Um, excellent liver kick, excellent angle on his body kick. I love how he goes horizontal across at counter cross. You know the deal. Uh, opportunistic jujitsu, and you know, maybe that's why the line's so close because he's always, you know, he has the jujitsu black belt and all that, which, you know, is not as, as, as wealthy. Uh, as we as we as we know it to be in MMA, you know, plenty of jiu-jitsu black belts can get tapped by non-black belts. Obviously, that's been a reality for quite some time now in the sport. That being said, Yuri has reminded us recently that he can hit opportunistic submissions, even though he's also been culprit to them. And Soto, although was underrated, I don't know why uh, people don't realize the guy's a, a wrestler who embraced grappling for a while, much less even after he started doing stints on more popular shows like EBI. Um, was, you know, I I was like, I don't understand. He's not going to get. I don't think he's going to get subbed by Yaya here. I think he can survive, and I took him against Yaya. Um, and that was a hell of a crazy fight, but a fun fight. But uh, but then he gets submitted by the drones. But that that is a weird submission, that calf crank. That is one you get caught in. Um, not just because it's weird, not just because it's leg locks, which is higher percentage to catch more skilled guys, but it's also one where, you know, we had Joe Soto, and he was explaining it this exact way, too. Where you go to defend one one thing, and usually when you have really good like defense of your legs, your arms, your thing you're gonna get caught on is compression locks or calf cranks or things like that of those kind of weird sorts because you're so geared and you're so good at defending your traditional types of leg locks or your traditional types of um, arm bars that. And I tweeted this because I think it was one of the last times I got to roll, uh, probably when I. Um, you know, maybe even could have got this hernia in, but uh, I kept defending arm bars prematurely, and it was like, oh, I'm so, uh, I pride myself in knowing what guys are going to do a couple steps ahead, just from, just from mat time, that's one of the only few attributes a non-athletic dude who just gets beat up a lot has, like myself, but I can smell when the arm bar is coming, so a lot of times I will kind of do the, as, you know, I'll, I'll teach students, uh, you make your, make the rear naked choke, everybody knows the rear naked choke, right, and feel that arm bar coming, whatever arm, you know, is, is getting attacked, that's the one you want to tuck between your bicep and your forearm, like it's your choking arm if you're making a rear naked choke. And then the other hand, just a little extra detail, I'll usually clasp behind uh, their thigh because the back of their thigh, when they're going for the arm bar, is pressing, trying to press in your, into your face. And, and, and so they can get leverage. I'll usually, with the other hand, kind of cut the inside of their hand. And it creates a nice space to not just defend, but then you it defends space to get up and stack and you can then pass. I know it's radio, most of you don't roll, but for those of you, you know, there's there's that share. Um but yeah, you open yourself to compression locks when you defend too soon. Or if you're defending a certain takedown or certain submission, okay, and you're gonna leave that let that door open to roll and you see like Soto's kinda unaware of what he's doing at first and it's too late. And then John's is actually really good. So again, I don't think we're gonna condemn Soto for that. Soto's the pick here. Um not by much. Again, I'm not con Condemning or, or you know shitting on that line, so to, so to speak. I'm just explaining why I think it's closer than maybe it would be, regardless of who you like. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, I'm just probably gonna push through the whole card. Just get through fast because I have like a half hour before I gotta wrap this up and start editing and get out the door. Um, next fight: Marlon Vera versus uh, Douglas De Silva D'Andrade, um, or Silva D. Douglas DeAndrade, whatever. It's too many names, DeAndrade. Uh, I got Marlon Vera here. He's a slight favorite. Sorry, I don't have odds right in front of me. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, I just essentially think it's gonna, you know, his, his pace and pressure is gonna, he's gonna be able to outwork him. Uh, Marlon Vera, you know, he's always he started off his career as a southpaw. Um, he started shifting stances more, more of a process to it. To now, or at least recently, excuse me. He's been primarily fighting toward orthodox as an orthodox fighter, but then he'll shift stance mid combinations, getting better at using his straight punches for connecting pieces as opposed to being so wild. And his fight IQ is improving, and I like to think that's because, again, gotta listen to me, Junkie Radio, for this reason. A lot of interesting tidbits. Uh, but he's been working with the Spanish broadcast team for like the last year, apparently, or close to it, um, and doing a lot of prep, which explains what you know part of his step up on promotion, why he's been learning English, and just stepping up his game in general. Uh, but part of that, he's been stepping up. The most important part is the mental game and prep and learning how to study tape to where even like when Soto was on the program, was training at Team Oyama, he was saying that Marlon Vera actually helped him with his game plan because he's so deep in the tape, especially when it comes to these South American guys that um, he's getting matched with. And uh, 
And 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 yeah, so I, I think he's going to learn from the lesson because his last visit to South America didn't go well, but he still made a good account for himself, especially in that third round against John Lineker, who was able to take his power. And John Lineker's on a different level than Dion Draj, but they, they are very similar in style. So just like it was with uh, Rob Font when Rob Font, um, even though I'm bad at picking Rob Font, fight, Rob Font's fights, that was a fight that I picked correctly and spot on with the arsenal to how it was going to happen. Was his fight versus Dion Draj. Um and Rob Font, granted, is a different fighter than Marlon Vera. That's not the comparison I'm trying to make here. But as far as – they got the same fighter progression. They both lost to Lineker and got to make it up against uh, DeAndrage. Now, this fight hasn't happened yet. Maybe Marlon Vera won't like, make it up to against DeAndrage. Uh, but that's how I see it uh, uh, going um, against a more stationary, not as fast fighter, and more limited fighter, in my opinion, in Douglas De Silva uh, – Andrade, Silva D. Douglas, the, the fucking whatever, the fuck. All right. Oh, I took Vera inside the distance plus 344. is a little higher than what I thought it maybe should be for what I feel is the most, most likely outcome because I think he's going to submit him. Uh, even if uh, Vera, you know, with his lim- limited to, to lack of wrestling that he showed in uh, previous fights, uh, the opportunism that he creates and Douglas Silva Andrade's willingness to go into those shit storms. Uh, I think he can get subbed. More importantly, I suspect Cheeto Vera, who's young and should only be growing. I think he's going to be growing faster than we think and may have some new tools. All right, next fight. Uh, Alan Patrick versus Demir Hadzovic. Uh, another play. Hadzovic is a pretty big dog. I, I, I want to say he's still... Uh, he came down a bit from like plus 270s-ish to plus 210. He's always been criminally underrated. People finally now, after his knockout, are, are catching on. Um, but, uh, stumbling on this guy in cage warriors, I, you know, I was impressed to the point where even, I, I know it's not impressive and sounds maybe even crazy to now, but I actually took him, uh, I officially picked him and that's on mixedmartialinos.com, whichever card that took place on, but I officially picked him over, uh, Maribek Tizimov, um, just because I thought he was going to catch him in that crucial space where Tizimov liked to make his money and Tizimov is, uh, was great and deserved the hype before then, but really is, uh, Looking like he's stepping up on the level and deserving the hype now, and really upped his boxing in the last few years. So, really, is it that bad of a loss? Uh, I don't think so. Um, and so, I stuck with him. I thought I was going to shine through that he was going to be able to defend because he actually came from the Bosnian bomber, even though it looks like a scary motherfucking Terminator motherfucker like he is. He came actually from more from the jiu-jitsu side of things. Well, he actually was, a, was like a bodybuilder and strength trainer or whatever, but he came from the grappling side of things and, uh, did that first and then got an MMA through that, through that route. So kind of interesting, but he's, he's a natural striker, you know, he, he, not just his feel for it, but even his technique keeps his feet below him, stays on balance when he strikes, throws with power because he stays on balance and has these springing knees that almost fling into front kicks that he throws uh, either in inter, inter, intercepting fa- fashion, like a more aggressive Donald Cowboy Cerrone or in the clinch and off the brakes. He is real dangerous off the brakes. I mean, that, that finish of John McGuire is what just sticks in my head. Because that's how I stumbled upon Demir Hadzivik. I was like, oh, what's John McGuire been up to? He's over Cage Warriors up here. I remember him from the UFC. Um, fought Demarcus Johnson, some other guys. What the fuck's this gypsy up to? And uh, I was like, holy shit. He just fought a Terminator. It was this guy. And that guy was uh, Demir Hadzivik. So uh, I'm rolling with Demir again here. You know, Alan Patrick's a weird guy, which makes it e- easy to underestimate with his style because it's very flamboyant. He, too, got taxed by it uh, against Maribek Tizimov, which, again, not condemnable. But I also have to think that was going to happen sometime with Patrick, who, at least at that point of his career, is a little wild. But it's really hard to say. I say that at that point of his career because it's really hard to say with Patrick. He's such a spotty record. I think he fought twice in 2016 and didn't fight in 2017. Again, I'm a great host who doesn't have odds in front of him. But uh, but I, I believe that was the case. Um and, uh, and, and yeah, so it's, it's really hard to say where he's at. I mean, it's hard enough to root for a guy who went from a street beggar to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt training by Jacare, but I don't think he should be minus 250. I think he, and, and, and uh, Tamir Hadzovic, I don't think he should be plus 210. So I played uh, Hadzovic at plus 210 at one unit. All right, uh, next fight. We're still, we're in FS2. Oh, they're getting tricky on us, aren't they? All right. Well, thankfully, I have that channel. All right, Marais versus Tim Means. Um, you guys know I'm a big team Tim Means fan, uh, uh, but uh, maybe I've been a little 
unjustifiably high on him, but maybe not because the odds makers are still high on him despite what's happened um, in past matchups. You know, Bilal Muhammad's no joke. That's not a disrespectable loss by any stretch. Bilal Muhammad's the the deal. Uh, he's a talented dude, uh, but I, amongst many, felt you know Means could have won that match, and you know. I felt I was crazy. I felt like everybody across the board was scoring it for Muhammad, which I felt was the rightful winner. But I remember I was like, man, I know I'm bad at scoring, and you know maybe I was paying a little less extra attention or something for whatever reason. So maybe I was extra bad. Okay, sure. If maybe that's it, fine. Okay, fine. But uh, no, it was it was it was a it was a pretty close fight, depending on what you're looking at. And again, I kind of have that weird perspective where you got to kind of be able to tune out the commentator not let them sway you and kind of see the action for what it is but even not just seeing the action for what it is that's a broad statement we all see action differently but there are those certain fights where I don't want to say mm, more skilled I am more experienced I am more that but there are certain things where it's I, I leave me out of it but I'll just say the people that side with me are usually people that have experience um, having punches and kicks thrown at them for a minute and when, those kind of decisions, you know. So whatever I'm seeing, call me crazy, but I'm not the only one seeing it. And the other people that are seeing it are actual martial artists and or fighters, for what that's worth. Uh, again, not a bad decision by any means. I thought below Muhammad won it. Not saying that, but you know, as far as some of these fights that are close and the different, and when we're, when we're talking about the different interpretations, which hey. The judging rules leave for a lot of different interpretation. Uh, again, this feels like kind of a trap line here, and anything above minus 200 for means, it does seem to be kind of climbing down. Uh, it's at minus 200 even now, and I felt it was higher. Mariah's plus 170. You know, Mariah's has power despite his, you know, weird missing bicep thing or whatever. I'm like, not hating on the guy or anything. I mean, hell, I might have some things cut out of me soon. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, 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 uh, he, he, you know, he, I don't want to count him out there just because he got iced by Kamara Usman. Um, and then, of course, you know, his jiu-jitsu and, and, and is always live, and he's, he's very opportunistic. Uh, should he get the chance, you know, mean give up, means give up a takedown and slip. I mean, that's... He's not Cowboy Oliveira as far as enforcing his game, uh, Marias is, but I could see that happening. So, anyways. Means is the pick. Uh, no plays. I, I've, I've, I avoided that one, though. Not officially on the void list. All right, are we on the main card? We are on the main card. Tiago Santos versus Anthony Lionheart-Smith. Uh, all right, we have uh, Lionheart-Smith. Still a big dog. Another guy that just gets no love from the oddsmakers or public. Anthony Smith, plus 250, minus 300. I shouldn't say oddsmakers, actually. Oddsmakers gave him much more respect this time around. This line opened much lower, uh, closer. As it should. But, um, you know, the public, they're always going to be high on not just Santos, but a guy like Santos, a spinning kick knockout guy. And then a guy like Smith, you know, he's your quintessential underdog, you know. Um, I was a real big fan of Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith, the Protect Your Neck podcast trivia, he's the first first UFC fighter to shout out the Protect Your Neck podcast. Um, I think Alvy was on first, but as far as like, you know, just a shout out from a random fighter, that, that was uh, Anthony Smith, so... I always love Anthony Smith for that reason, and it really pained me to pick against him here. I was trying to find reasons, and even though I stand by what I say, it should be closer. Uh, people should respect him more. But I can see why the faith is going the other way on this one because putting the fan hat down, now I'm putting my analyst hat back on. Um, stylistically, it's 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 not as simple as, okay, Anthony Smith, he starts slow, comes on strong. He just has to survive the storm because, A, Mahetta Santos doesn't necessarily gas. Um, he can falter. Uh, you know how much of that's mental. You know that, that you know, only he knows. But mental thing lapses, regardless, can happen in any round. So you really can't point to any one direction there or count on him to falter in any one direction. But more importantly, stylistically, in the way the puzzle pieces go, I was just looking at it. Anthony Anthony Smith gets kicked a lot. I mean, he knows how to check. He's a smart dude. Trains with talented guys. Mark Montoya. Uh, Factory X Muay Thai these past couple of camps, so I gotta hope they're gonna adjust it because even in his last fight against Hector Lombard, a guy who's not known for his kicks, the shortest guy in the division, one of the shortest guys Anthony Smith probably ever fought, was landing kicks at, at will on him and 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 was 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 getting in on his leg and other guys have too. And had, Lombard even hit a head kick at a certain point and uh, those switch head kicks. Andrew Sanchez was hitting a whole bunch even when he was gassed. He was hitting. I mean, Anthony Smith had a chin, and as well, Andrew Sanchez was gassing, so they kept having lesser and less effect. The fact is, he's getting hit by these things, and 
even the biggest detractors of Tiago Mahata Santos will admit that if you were to pick one fighter to not get kicked from at middleweight, since Anderson and Vitor aren't in their primes, yeah, Mahata Santos should be on the top of that list, which by the way, I believe he's number four for most knockouts at middleweight and will tie for number three, I want to say, with Anderson Silva with just one more knockout. And the guys above him are like inactive fighters or going to be soon to be retired fighters like Bisping. So Mahata Santos just needs to maybe hang out in the UFC for like another year and a half, and he's going to be number one for most knockouts of all time in the middleweight division, which is pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, Anthony Smith, underrated ground game, but Mahata Santos showing improvements in the ground game too. In fact, he'll, he'll wrestle guys when he faces a striker. You know, we've seen him, we've seen him take that approach before, and Anthony Smith's a scary dude, so I don't think he's going to want to trade clinch strikes with Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith, I believe, is the far better Muay Thai fighter in the clinch. Far better as far as that goes, which sounds crazy to say anybody's far better than Tiago Santos, who's really strong in the clinch. I just think Anthony Smith is just fucking nasty in the clinch. Just most guys are smart. They don't let him fight there. They usually put him on his ass because his takedown defense has improved, but not traditionally been the greatest. So that, that's usually the path guys like to take on Anthony Smith. He's usually fighting from there. So uh, I would not be surprised to see you know Tiago Santos do that either. So my heart is going to be rooting for Anthony Smith. I will probably be putting money just because of the number and because I like Anthony Smith that much. Um, but, yeah, the pick is, uh, you know, sticking to my gun, standing by my word. Okay, I'm not getting too crazy here. The pick is Thiago Santos, all right? But hearts with Anthony Smith there. All right, next fight. Uh, Tim Johnson. Tim Johnson versus Marcelo Gome. Or uh, Timmy Big Dick, as as the uh, the great uh, MMA analysis podcast goes. You know, I always got to give them a shout every... Every now and then on the uh, fellas over there. Good dudes, good dudes. But uh, good nicknames too, and that one just sticks in my head. I don't know, I don't know Timmy's proclivity, even though he is training at Extreme Couture. Which, by the way, Hadzovic apparently training at Extreme uh, Couture as well. And just, you know, again, with my fucking slew of injuries, or slew of just medical bullshit, um, have not been able to get in there. <laughs> To see these guys or anything, so I, I don't know anything about that. Not that I would be, you know, spying or anything for that reason. Anyways, I'm just saying it's good to know who's in your own backyard. I don't, uh, <laughs> so it's like, oh, I'm just doing studying these fights. Oh, these guys are here in town and in my backyard. Okay, wow, I'm a dummy. But uh, but yeah, this is like just essentially, you know, you read the breakdowns for these next fights. I'm going to speed through, um, but essentially, just like, reminds me of Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou and the lesson we learned there. As far as, you know, hype, limited sample size versus wrestlers, durable guy, durable tough dudes who are proven. And yeah, it's a durable tough dude. He might have been knocked out, sure. It was a perfect shot, which by the way, uh, you know, from a heavy a heavy hitting guy, heavier hitting than Gom. He's bigger, so yeah, maybe. But we're splitting hairs at heavyweight. That's not what I'm making the crux of my argument on. What I will say, though, is, is Tim Johnson didn't go into that fight 100%. You know, he, he was only able like, to train like a couple weeks of it. Was in it had a soldier surgery, the right soldier shoulder, I believe, the hand that he was having issue getting up to defend those punches there, uh, the left hook that got him, and then got another perfect shot behind you know the head again, hard hitting guy, perfectly placed shots, not taking away from Albini, but again you're kind of putting these puzzle pieces together. He's shown durability before, he's been in kind of similar spots with Marcin Tabura though. Tabura wasn't as hyped though. He should have more justified reason at least at that time to have been hyped than Golem because at least at that time. Tabora fought better guys, more experience, and has more on-paper skills and threats, at least shown, than Gohm. Now, Gohm could disprove all that in one fight, and if I were a betting man, I'd bet he'd disprove that in, in a couple fights. He's got a great future, but, you know, everyone's, oh, must go, and all that bullshit, and, you know, uh, he hasn't been tested yet, and all that normal stuff. You, you know the dynamic here. That's essentially what I'm playing. You know, my favorite underdogs are durable southpaws who can wrestle, that is Tim Johnson. Does that mean he's going to win? No. Does that mean he's not going to get knocked out? No, no. But there's more knowns than unknowns with him in comparison to Marcel Gome, and that is a fact. I can understand why he's favored or why public opinion's on him, but I'm on Johnson here. Also, uh, Johnson's on the uh, fantasy team, along with Marlon Vera, who I already talked about, uh, Demir Hadzovic, who I already talked about, and Anthony Smith, who I just talked about. So a very uh, dog-heavy, kind of unique um Unique DraftKings lineup here, which uh, caps off pretty low under the salary cap. Um, and that was kind of the angle, along with, of course, the most important, something that goes co pretty congruent with my analysis 
yeah, that, that, that's, that's how I went about that. All right, next fight, Desmond Green versus Michel Prasheres. This one is, uh, would have been on the avoid list, except I'm playing it, but playing it at a different angle. Uh, I would be careful of taking a side. It's volatile in that way. Prasheres missed weight for the third time in a row, three, or maybe three out of his last four fights, at least, I should say, uh, this morning. So I guess he's going to be forced to go in a welterweight. Um Glad the fight's still on. Des Green, man, has fought at welterweight before, too. I don't know how Des Green ever looked uh, or ever fought at, at, at featherweight, but he has. He's deceptively experienced. He's only lost to good guys. He is very live in this fight, as I explained in my breakdown. He's a very good defensive fighter, not just with his wrestling, which he was a Division One All-American, a, a seated one at that, and, but he's striking, too, you know, from his time spent with Faraz Zahabi, and now he's taking that defensive fighting, that jab, and he's built upon those, added to the fundamentals, and can build offense a little better, although he still doesn't throw enough under Henry Hoof, where he's working now in Florida. Uh, Desmond Green, the native of Buffalo, New York, that is. Um, Desmond Green, the line has closed in a bit, maybe because of the weight thing. He's only plus 105 uh, underdog. Is this recording? Whereas Michelle Preseres, minus 125 favorite. But the over is still in play, which my betting article just dropped, so I'll be looking to see if that changes. I'm not a big total guy. I'm not a, a big believer in him uh, or anything like that. But with this card being full of firefights, high intangible matchups, in, or the confident picks, which are very few and far between, inflated, out of range, it forces old Dan Tom, as usual, because I don't do my betting articles till Friday, to get a little creative with lines. And, of course, cre- creative as in being real, because I'm not going to get creative in the other ways in fake stuff or just, you know, give you bullshit. Um it's got to be stuff, again, first and foremost, consistent to my analysis, like everything. And my, my, my thoughts and my beliefs and all whatever that bullshit, whatever you want to classify it. But, yes, yes, whatever is concurrent and playable as far as that goes. Because, as you know, picking fights and betting fights is different. Of course, I'm a little better, uh, a little better at picking than I have at the betting, if I'm being honest. You all know that. But you still come back anyways because giving you the hardcore analysis and... Uh, when you do the math on my numbers and the consistency, it ain't, it ain't, it ain't that bad. It ain't that bad. Uh, but, of course, this is for entertainment, the betting side of it. The picks, though, I do take a little more serious. The betting, I take just as serious because it's best off the picks. Dan, shut up. Just get to the thing. I play the over here. Sorry. Ugh. Lack of water. I need water. I'm a little dry mouth from talking straight. I was running empty on words there collect myself but yeah playing the over minus 235 essentially kind of like my canary in a coal mine theory that's been going well another thing you know if you track here on this year's show when we talk about these angles they usually come through it's a very important fight for both guys desmond green needs an important performance he's only one and one and it's it's a shot for him to make a statement on his first main card appearance that's big and he's getting that off of a loss I'm sure he's going to feel the need more than normal to come through, which is already strong. Bracheris, I think he's four or five quietly in a row. Um, this might be only his second, if any, main card spot. He doesn't really get these, uh, so he, you know, he's 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 only getting older. I, you know, I, he's still an active cop. I don't know how much fame or anything like that means to him. I'm sure he's probably realistic about his ceiling, just like we are. But he's got to want something. I mean, that's worth goddamn something. So he should be wanting to come and show strong. That uh, being said, he didn't miss he missed weight, so he, he didn't show that strong. Um, but with missing weight, this only kind of parlays into my my thought and theory that is he's missed weight playing time, so it's not like it's going to be a thing where he gasses and gets finished, uh, you know. And, and and he isn't gassed as much as late, or if he has, um, you know, I can't even remember if he has recently, but he's he's actually finished some fights recently. Uh, that's why. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's gonna he's you know the UFC brass is upset. He's going to move to welterweight, probably doesn't want to. If he wants a shot at moving to lightweight or wants any kind of favor to make up for him, he's going to want to make sure he gets a win, not loses, not look bad. Or, you know, maybe he did, you know, uh, maybe it was a rough cut and he's worried about gassing. So now he's going to fight more conservative. Again, all these factors kind of play lean toward the over. Oh, and the fact that both guys have a freaking high propensity going decision, either in the UFC, like Prasheres, or just in the UFC and throughout their entire career like Desmond Green so the over is a recommended parlay piece but I stayed away from it other than that especially uh, DraftKings because these guys are going to shut down the takedowns they're both durable and can take a shot on the feet all right Valentina Shevchenko my favorite minus 1000 plus 650 Priscilla Cachoeira 
Um, the former crackhead now finding herself in the UFC, which is awesome, except you get a fight with Valentina Shevchenko. Not much to break down here. You know I could talk about Valentina's technique for days, but I don't have the time. This matchup sadly doesn't deserve it, though it does deserve your time. Shevchenko deserves your time. Deserves all that time. Damn, stop being creepy. All right. Um, she is my favorite, though. Damn, you said that. Shut up. Uh... But yeah, I, I think she's going to win here. I think she I gets it inside the distance, not just because she should, not just because the line is what it is, not because I'm being lazy or anything like that. No, um, I actually see the check right hook that I, I talk about all the time now. Rogan does ever since the Holly Holm fight, but your boy here, not Eric Anders, but your boy Dan Tom here, um, pontificated on that check right hook quite a lot leading up to the Holly Holm fight. So one that I'll always be proud of there for that reason. But uh, I think that's going to have play here. Check right hook, my favorite punch all shot all southpaws should not leave home without it but it comes in handy against reckless and aggressive fighters which is what priscilla kashohedo is and it's one of those things she's super durable priscilla is maybe she fights a little smarter i don't think it's gonna make a difference i don't like what i saw i don't want to be rude and jump in on what like Capozo and what other people were saying on the pads but they're absolutely right um it was really disturbing it looked like you're teaching a beginner how to work some pads and doing drills in a class and that was the open workout for pad work for arguably one of the best pound-for-pound pound female fighters. Um, uh, you know, I would say number two spot because Yona and Jacek just lost. She beat her three times, and you can go ahead and give, like, Cyborg, I'm sure, or Nunez or somebody would probably make that argument. So that's why I would just put her at number two, although she's number one in my hat there. My hat! But, uh, yeah, that's the pick is uh, Shevchenko inside the distance. All right, this one is another volatile one. It is on the avoid list. Um, along with Smith and Santos, by the way, was also on the avoid list. Uh, Pedro Munoz versus John Dotson. Pedro Munoz missed weight, which is weird because he's never been a big fan of weight. He came in at 140. I don't know if he was enjoying some hometown Brazilian food or what, but he's plus 155 dog. This line hasn't moved much. Minus 175 versus Dotson. And it really shouldn't have moved much. I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, Dotson has faltered against guys like Lineker and Marais. Uh, though they were close fights, you could argue that he won. Uh, but they were pressure guys, and the reason I wouldn't argue that he won, even if you could, because Dotson is just so reluctant to throw, and his knockouts are coming less and less these days. So his reluctancy to throw are causing not just for kind of frustrating fights to watch sometimes or long fights that go to decision, but close fights. Uh, and they're costing him, right? So that is – this is – the time is now if he's going to correct that at 33 or 34. 33 years of age is a bantamweight, which is getting up there, and he's, he's he's deceptively long in the tooth. If you kind of look at his resume, he's been around for a minute there in New Mexico, training in Jackson Lincoln, fighting regionally. Um, but yeah, uh, so he's got. But 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 the good thing for Dotson is he is still adding tools, you know, left kicks and and whatnot, and and uh, improvements under uh, Brandon Gibson and his left hand, his money, his money shot there is going to be live in this fight because left hands from both stances have been the common culprit for Munoz, whether it's left hooks. Uh, from Jimmy Rivera, or even from uh, Russell Doan and Justin Scoggins from the Southpaw stance before they jumped into guillotines or got guillotined in Doan's case. Um, but yeah, a bow choke, I should say, is what I like to call that guillotine that he hit on Russell Doan. So sick choke. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, you know those have been his common culprit. And as much as I've been wrong about being against uh, betting against uh, Pedro Munoz, and I like Pedro Munoz more than Dotson, and I never feel comfortable betting against John Dotson, and I am two and zero betting against John Dotson. All those things would lead you to believe that damn well, why didn't you just side with Pedro Munoz if it's a close goddamn fight? I gotta believe John Dotson has been taxed for his mistakes. Pedro Munoz, not necessarily as much. He's lost some close decisions, but. He gets tagged, and the guys end up jumping in or shooting in on him for inexplicably almost sometimes. And uh, he takes the damage, even though he, he gets hit with a lot of damage. And, you know, when he doesn't make the decision, he's, he, he doesn't show signs of fatigue. He's always breathing heavy. And I'm just like, how long is this going to last? How long is this reckless pressure going to last uh, before it catches up to him? And, and you know, so I, I guess that's where my pick comes from, but I'm not counting on it. He's training an American top team. Got to imagine he's adding in a lot of tools there. Uh, and improving like a lot of these other uh, Brazilians and other fighters who go there have traditionally and as of late. All right, last fight. Uh, Eric Anders, minus 265, coming down a little bit, maybe because of the weight miss, plus 225, Leota Machida. I don't know. I felt bad. I felt like I was like upset about talking about this show. Really. I just feel like I've talked about this show so much. Or I've typed about it a lot because Eric, Eric Anders, just because it's, you know, I always work on the main events first, so they get the most run. 
end up talking about it the most. Um, then if it makes another run on your betting or fantasy, which did on both, you know, there's more writing to be done and a little more research on a different type of research to be done on those ends. So yeah, I was a little burnt by this matchup and reciting stats on it. And I recited so much stats on it that I got it wrong. I actually been saying that Leo Machida has been getting knocked out his last three fights. Which technically isn't true, but you know what? I will stand by that because even though he got submitted by Rockhold, like, you know, Machida got knocked out in that fight like twice. Like, he gets elbowed, like, almost borderline downward elbowed to the back of the head. It's a weird angle, right? At the end of the first round that has him, like, he doesn't know where the fuck he is after that. Like, they, they could have stopped the fight. He's stumbling. He looks like a fucking mess, right? He goes from, you know, he goes from seven to six to one out of ten, right? He just, the power level just drops. And then he gets, you know, then he slips or whatever, or gets dropped again, I can't remember, but then he gets pounded even more and pummeled, almost like TKO'd again before um, he gets choked out. That's why he taps so fast, because the ref probably was giving him a little too, I want to say it was, a, I think it was a Yamasaki in a Florida stoppage, or maybe I'm thinking, I don't know, thinking wrong there, or no, it was New Jersey, but it might have been Yamasaki still. Someone gave Machida a little bit too much respect, and that fucked him up. Uh, real bad so i will stand by that <laughs> you know even though it's technically a submission in one of those but they, they were all to southpaws though too southpaws who could strike and grapple who could grapple and had power however you want to break it down or label that eric anders fits that bill again is not this could be you know oh, the veteran comes out and taxes us yes th- there's a little bit of that there too but not as much there's not as much as that angle here no i uh I just don't think Lyoto is the same, and, and and even you know, I, you know, without saying too much, just speaking to someone from that camp who loves and cares about him and is a fan, and I'm a fan of Machida, but talking to that person, you know, it's kind of saying the same thing. And this was before it was it wasn't about this matchup. This was before this matchup was announced. This was just talking about Lyoto in general, and I'll just leave it at that. And um, I also think I can't confirm. I'm not trying to spread anything, but. I will say this because this is something that I actually have talked about as a theory on this on this year on this year program. Um, when the guys get older, we don't see them wrestle as much, whether they were wrestlers or whether they were guys like Machida who learned somewhere along their career and incorporated and made it a part of their being in game. We don't see them do it as much. And when guys have a back issue and they come back from it, they may come back to their career. They may win some fights. They may even have a varying degree of what you would call a successful career when they return, but they will shoot a lot less takedowns. Uh, I think Leota's one of those guys. I don't think he's going to be able to defend the takedown here. I think Anders, who, although he should have beat that guy, and in that sense, you could look at it and not be impressed. I know I could have because I tore Marcus Perez apart. That guy just looked like a fake fucking fighter. When I was like researching footage on him, he just looked like he was all about looking like a fighter, not actually being one. And even though he was avoiding the fight, which is why he survived, make no doubt about it. Even Anders talks about that post-fight. Um... I don't condemn Anders for not finishing that guy. Uh, not only was he a little bit tougher uh, and a little more skilled than I thought, give give, give Marcus Perez credit, um, Anders showed the smarts of, you know, a guy's going to get wild like that. Why give him a chance? You know, this guy's not going away. He can take my power uh, for whatever reason. Okay, fine. Why get crazy? Why give him the one chance of all the stupid spinning shit? Let's take him down and just beat the fuck out of him. And that's what he did. So I actually look at that as an impressive performance from that aspect. Um, from Eric Anders, uh, and yeah, is he potent enough with his left hand? And he's showing improvements even in like you know five week turnaround fights. He's showing improvements on his left hands and his striking. So striking off the break, uppercuts, mixing in knees. You know he, he struck off the break really well. Like again, Marcus Perez was suicide diving, no, uh, just out of fear for whatever was coming his way. So, but anybody else, Eric Anders would have got out of there with those strikes off the break that he was throwing. Um, and I think he does that to Machida. Who's not as elusive? It's not as it's not as much of a puzzle piece as it once was. Unfortunately, I'm a huge Machida fan, man. Again, top five title turnout changeovers. Rashad Evans, the old Machida, UFC 97, watching here in Vegas and watching a crowd just kind of turn, go from the incumbent American champion to the guy people were calling were boring, the Brazilian Japanese dude nobody cared about, and just won him over with a performance. Such a beautiful night. I'll always love and respect Machida, but uh, I actually don't disagree with the line as wide as juiced up as it might be. So Eric Anders for minus 300, though he's minus 265 now, recommended parlay piece and the second highest person on DraftKings. So a recap, we'll actually start with DraftKings for the 
plays, uh, the picks we went through. You can find my picks at MMAJunkie.com. But DraftKings for the top, got Pollyanna Viana, 91,000. Eric Anders, 8,900. Marlon Vera, or 9,100, I should say Pollyanna Viana. Marlon Vera, 8,300. Tim Johnson, 7,500. Demir Hadzovic, 7,200. Anthony Smith, 7,000 for a roster cap of 48,000. Two recommended parlay pieces, Eric Anders, minus 300, who's now minus 265, and still priced in, in the article as it is now, Green versus Pacheres, over 2.5, minus 235. One prop, Vera, inside the distance, put a half unit on that, plus 344, and the one straight play is on Demir Hadzovic. Hadzo! Plus 210 for one whole unit on the avoid list. Figueredo, Morales. Pick is Figueredo, but Morales is live. Smith is super live. My heart is with him, but the pick is Santos, also on the avoid list. And Dotson Munoz. It's Munoz, but I don't know why that, every that especially the way it's spelled, I always think of Michael Bisping. Uh, Pedro Munoz is, um, Pedro Munoz is there, and he's, he's going to be fighting it on there. Sorry, that was terrible. Michael Bisping accent. Don't mean to offend my homies across the pond with that horrible accent either. But good luck on your picks and plays. I'm going to get out of here, get this edited quick and up to y'all, and uh, begin my conquest uh, of getting getting to the bottom of these surgeries. You know what? It's fine. It's been a month of pain, but I'm willing to deal with a whole month more as long as I get back to health. This has really made me grateful on health. Thank you guys for reaching out, giving me your best wishes. And part of the thing that's pulling me forward is I complain that all this started is this all this started when my vacation got ruined, the one vacation in two fucking years. Instead of complaining about that, I'm making another vacation, baby. That's right. I'm making it a point. I'm going to be going out. Uh, I haven't bought my ticket yet, but uh, I'll be buying a ticket for UFC 223, going back to my third home of Brooklyn. That's right. Uh, I haven't bought my plane ticket yet, but I'm thinking I'm going to go out there early Thursday to, so I can hang out Thursday night, uh, You know, go for weigh-ins, activities on Friday, whatever's going on, hang out Friday night. Um, fights on Saturday, fly back on Sunday. That's what Dan Thomas, that's what's going to get me through all this fucking pain and bullshit. Uh, yeah, but you know what? We all go through pain and bullshit. I'm not, I'm not the only one. I have it easy compared to so many. So sorry for soapboxing it. Thank you again. Good luck on your uh, picks and plays. Thanks for the nice wishes. Reach out to me if you're going to be at UFC 223. Or just reach out to me and say, Dan, did you buy a ticket, you lazy motherfucker? Because I'm reminding you. I appreciate it. You'd be helping me protect my neck, and hopefully you protect yours this weekend. I'm going to actually skip the regular outro on that note. Just have a good fucking weekend, guys. Peace.